my life has built around it and, and my life was made possible thanks to it. So yeah, it, it only like, it only makes sense and to me that I continue this tradition. And it's almost like I have to thank the Bundura, like I have to return this, this experience to it. I have to devote a good chunk of my life to it. moms have a mutual cousin, Carol. Our babas have a mutual friend, Pearl. And we have a mutual love, Ukrainian dance and culture. I'm Hannah. I'm Caitlin. And this is Si, the Ukrainian dance and culture podcast. Whenever we have guests, we like to start off with a little rapid fire round of questions so we get to know you really quickly. So we're going to ask a question and you say the first answer that pops into your head. Great. So the first instrument you learned to play was? Violin. Your favorite modern day Ukrainian musician is? Oh crap, Doc Daughters. One of your hobbies not related to music is? Uh, yoga. <laughs> your all time favorite Ukrainian food is? Oh no. Why is I feel like I'm searching my soul right now. It's probably but I'm a kid. <laughs> a classic. Yeah. When it's possible, the next place you'd like to travel to is Ooh, I want to go to Georgia. Not Winnipeg? No, sorry guys. <laughs> Not the top of my list, but I mean if I can get out, I'm gonna get way out. <laughs> we have a great Georgian restaurant here, so nice. that's true. That's next true. best thing, if I can only travel in the country, I'll go over to you guys. Yeah. <laughs> okay, deal. <laughs> Amazing. So we feel like we've gotten to know just like a tiny little bit of you. Um, we're so, so excited to get to know more of you. Today we are joined by Alina Kuzma, a singer, a bandurist, and we're going to learn what else today, because I'm sure there's a lot more to you. So this this month on FSI, we're having a music month. We're featuring a few special guests who are connected to Ukrainian culture in some way, and as well to music. Alina is involved with a few Ukrainian musical projects, including um, a member of the Women's Bandura Ensemble of North America and the band Koringa. And those are the two we know about. Maybe we'll find out about more later on. Um, a few weeks ago, Alina actually reached out to us and said she listens to the podcast and hearing that absolutely made our day. And so when we started planning for our music month, it felt really natural to reach out to Alina and ask her if she would be the first person to do an interview with us. And now we are here. So thank you for reaching out and thank you for joining us today. We're very excited about this. So, so glad to be here. You guys are my first podcast ever, like of being a guest on here. So like, thank you. This is a really cool experience. Oh, wow. That's so, we're so honored. <laughs> this is going to be so fun because we're going to get to know you right alongside our listeners. So just to get started, can you tell us a bit about yourself, like where you're located, what you do for work, whatever else you'd like to share? Sure. Okay. So my name is Alina. That far we've gotten. Uh, I am living in Toronto, pretty much downtown Toronto. Uh, I grew up in the States in the northeastern U.S., so in Connecticut, that state between New York and Boston that you have casinos in and that you drive through to get to New York or Boston. Um, so <laughs> that was my upbringing. Um, yeah, I'm a fourth generation Bunturist. I'm a singer. Uh, my profession is an arts administrator by trade. Um, what else? What else? I guess that kind of like starts it out. That starts out the Alina experience, <laughs> but yeah. 
So you just mentioned that you're a fourth generation Buddhist, so we're just going to assume that you are Ukrainian. And so what else is your tie to Ukrainian culture? Tell us a little bit about that. All four of my grandparents are from Ukraine. They're all born in Ukraine, and then they were part of the displaced persons generation. So that's my that's my connection. Um, my dad's parents were from Halichina, like a lot of us here in the diaspora. Um, can, tire, can trace our respect there. My mom's family, on the other hand, is Eastern. Um, so her mom from Sume, her dad from Poltava. Um, yeah, so that is my family. Um, I grew up just super immersed in the community. Um, my, my dad ran two choirs growing up. He still does. Uh, he was also part of the Yale alumni community. So he's part of the Yale Russian chorus still. So I grew up like listening to them a lot. Um, we were dragged around to like different concerts and different like, uh, not even just Ukrainian, but like just ethnic events, festivals, concerts in general. Yeah. And yep, it's just been uh, <laughs> music. Music in general has just been like a huge part of um, of my upbringing, like all of my family is musical. Um, I, yeah, other than that, I did the like typical Ukrainian diaspora upbringing thing. Uh, I, you know, did Ukrainian school on Saturdays. I did Sunday school. I did, I did dance. I tried to do dance for like 10 years. And then I was like, oh no, man, I'm a musician. So it took a while to figure that out. Um, but eventually got here. So yeah, heavily, heavily Ukrainian. Um, but yeah, got a good chance. Like it, it was really like a blessing growing up in um, in Connecticut because you just had like immediate access to so many different places, so many different communities. Um, and that just kind of created like who I am today. And like my parents did a good job of making sure we got out to see a whole lot of the world that we could in our little corner. You said that you have been a musician all your life mm -hmm. and that your first instrument was the violin. And so what can you tell us about your musical journey, uh, why you got into it, what led to your current instruments and singing today? Yeah, so, um, well, okay, if you ask about like, what got Alina interested in music, like what got Alina into music, really like that story begins way before my birth. Um, like music and Bandura especially is, you know, that's part of my family's immigration story. So my maternal grandfather, who celebrated 93 yesterday. So happy birthday, Gijo. Uh, shout out. Sorry. <laughs> he, uh, he made it over to the U.S. and escaped uh, Nazi Germany, the, you know, uh, Nazi occupied Europe with his Bandura Ensemble, which is now known as the Ukrainian Bandurist Chorus. They are the folks based out of Cleveland and Detroit. So I like to say because of that, and then because of other instances, um, that I am the product of, um, like I, I only exist because of musically induced coincidences. So like all the things that led to his survival, the ensemble survival, and then, um, on top of that, my paternal grandparents met because my grandmother was like, ooh, who's this young thing playing the guitar um, in a DP camp? <laughs> Aren't we all attracted to those moody types with guitars? Right? <laughs> um, so there's that. And then on top of that, my own parents met on their way to a music concert, to a Ukrainian choral concert. If anyone's heard of Dumka out of New York City, they were on their way there. So 
um, yeah, so that's that's like my beginnings. I had no choice. I had no chance of getting out of the whole musical thing. Um, and yeah, so I, I grew up like around choirs, singing in choirs when my dad would be like, oh, we need another singer for this or there's a wedding coming up, you know, even though I wasn't ever formally like part of the choir. It's like, OK, but we got this backup here. Please come. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, you had your family like gatherings like all of us do. We normally sing No Hayalita, but like ours would be No Hayalita. And then just for fun, let's all sing the Hallelujah Chorus, like just because we can. Um, yeah. So it was it was just like part of growing up. You just all sang along. You started caroling. You started singing whatever you want. And then eventually my family saw that I was into um I was interested in violin because my cousin was doing violin at the time, but she was like 16 or something at the time. I was five and they were like, let's teach her violin. Let's get her started now. So I started violin at age four or five, um, continued for a while and then sort of just like faded away from it. Just wasn't really all that dedicated to it ever. Um, in around, when was it? Oh, and then in high school, my mom asked me, okay, hey, you, do you want to continue violin or do you want to do chorus? Because you need to do a music class. I'm not going to let you go to high school without taking a music class. So I went, okay, well, I mean, I like singing. I've never really given it much serious thought other than just casual, you know, like jam sessions or whatever. Um, so I started taking choir, uh, was musically trained, started taking voice lessons. Sorry, musically trained, duh, was classically trained. Um, a lot of what we sang was... Um, you know, Italian art songs, uh, madrigals, um, yeah, choral, choral pieces that generally are taught in like a Western European style. Um, and around that time, I started playing with Kuriña. Um, oh, and I should say that like I'd been like all through this story, I'm going to Bandura camp the whole time like started around age eight and then was like already tagging along with my mom. And she's like, okay, you're going to sit in this class. I'm going to make you sit down and try this again. Oh, there's a gig coming up. Let's, let's have you play on stage. Um, yeah. So all this time I'm doing Bandura camp, but uh, when I'm in high school, I have this like distinct turning point, like a memory of um, being at this music festival in the States. There's these, um, there's these adjudicated like auditions for these annual music festivals where high school kids get together and like form an orchestra, form a choir for like a long weekend and that's it. And then you put on a show. Um, so it's a really cool experience. Uh, but, 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 but I'm singing classical style. I'm singing in German, French, English, Italian. Uh, and I remember the conductor we had, these were like super qualified professionals, super like, you know, these, these people that like volunteered time to teach some lowly, you know, high schoolers. Um, he was teaching us how to sing this song that was supposed to be an African, uh, I, sorry, I don't remember like where, I think it was a Kenyan piece, a Kenyan folk piece that was arranged for a four part choir. Um, and there's this one part where you basically go into what I know now is like Ridni Holos, so the Ukrainian like um, the, the the Ukrainian folk style of singing that you actually find in other places in the world as well. Um, so on this recording we were referencing, he was going, "Oh yeah, there's this like you know more more nasal, more bright 
sound that they're doing. Has anyone ever listened to Bulgarian folk singing, like the Bulgarian women's choir or, or, or Bulgarian voices? And I'm eagerly like shooting my hand up and a few other people are going like, okay, yeah, I've, I've heard them. And then he goes, yeah, like try for that ugly sound. And I just <laughs> put my, I was so offended, you guys. Oh my gosh. Um, we were already, like, I was already not a fan of this guy because he was, you know, patronizing us and he was kind of demeaning us. Like, do you guys know what crescendos are? Like, sir, everyone in, like, don't even. Um, but yeah, then he goes. Dancers know what dancers crescendos are. Dancers know what are. crescendos are. Like, give me a break. Thank you. Um, but yeah, this this guy says this ugly sound and I'm going, hold up. Like, I love this sound. I grew up around this sound. Um, you know, I'm trying, like I'm, I'm emulating that sound when I sing with Kurinya and you're saying it's ugly. And I think that was my pivot point when I was like, I cannot sing in this. Like if, if people are going to demean it, if this is how a lot of the world actually sings and if like a more natural tone of some cultures is like ugly to you no no bye so um my sister actually she she went like the whole way with that whole classical route and now she's going to uh graduate school for opera for vocal performance uh but I was like no no I'm I'm done with this life I'm going to try for new things um so that that kind of started my path that I'm on now um yeah so long answer to a short question but hope that answers everything <laughs> oh that's how interviews are and yeah. that's good like we want to hear you we don't want to hear us in this podcast we <laughs> want to hear you and your story um so okay this just like we had a bunch of questions <laughs> in our mind and you just answered a ton of them in like that one answer so like obviously music has been in your life forever you've just grown up with it it's in your genes. It's in your blood. Like, it wasn't even introduced to you, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then Bandura was just a very natural transition, obviously, also in your genes and in your blood. Mm -hmm. um, so, like, what has, I guess, what has kept you playing the Bandura? And how did you become, you talked a little bit about the male, the male Bandura um, group. And how did you get involved with the women's group? Yeah, okay. So, um so just to make sure I don't start rambling, you're asking, how did I keep up with Bandura and what got me into the women's Bandura ensemble? Yeah, because you were playing violin there for a while. And um, I don't know, did you choose the path to keep playing Bandura or are you playing multiple instruments still? I don't know. Uh, Probably. Multiple instruments, not really, like kind of dropped off with violin. I can play like a couple pieces on violin if you ask me to, but you know, like don't ask me to perform anything without like a month or five of practice. <laughs> um yeah, like I said, I started going to Bandura camp, I think when I was like nine, um, officially, like when I wasn't, you know, just like lurking in my mom's classrooms over the summer so, um, or like catching caterpillars when all the students were in lessons. Anyway, so yeah, started at age nine and then, um, yeah, so continue that all through high school in around when maybe 16, 17, I started instructing. Uh, I was asked to help out either as an assistant or like take on classes or just help with singing, what have you. Um, yeah. So around that time, like in my teen years, I was like, okay, like I actually like Bandura. It's, it's, it was this weird phenomenon that happened to me that a lot of people that go through like the Bandura camp 
experience also get where like you're kind of forced to a certain extent and then if you keep up with it long enough at some point like things just make sense and all of a sudden Bondura becomes like I don't want to say an extension of yourself but I I do feel comfortable with it like enough where it's not like I have to stop and think too much about like where is this note and how do I you know like sight reading becomes easier so I hit that point um, I'm starting to enjoy Bundura. I actually ask for lessons. Wow. Um, <laughs> imagine. So, um, yeah. And, and I'm, I'm going, okay, like, this is cool. I'm getting it. I feel like I'm progressing. But then it felt like a race to nowhere um, where I was going, okay, like, this is great. But what comes next? What do I do after Bundura camp isn't enough for me? Um what do I, you know, who can teach me? How can I just like keep it up? Like I've invested so much of my time and I, I keep getting told like, oh yeah, you are a, you're in the Katasi family. You have to keep this tradition going. Um, but it was like, okay, like where? Cause there's a men's group. And at this point there were two men's groups. And in terms of women's groups, there were really only, um, you know, women who kept playing. If they went through the camp system, if they kept playing afterwards, it was like they were teachers or they did Bandura as part of like a choral um, like performance. So they'd bring out the Bunduras for like a number or two um, or there'd be like smaller ensembles, like groups of three or four women. Um, and, and they just kind of like popped up and then disappeared. There are a couple women's groups like in the 60s that were really made with like one uh, one age group involved. And then once that age group, usually they were younger women, once they started going to university and leaving their hometown, it was like, you can't really keep that up. Um, so yeah, so I personally felt like I was just, you know, progressing and it wasn't going to go anywhere. Uh, meanwhile, I had all these guy friends that were like, oh yeah, like I'm auditioning for the UBC. And then like, I made friends that were already in the, you know, Canadian group, the Canadian Bandura's Capella. Um, and I'm like, great, that's cool. Good for you. And just in my head, I'm going like <laughs> men. Um, so, uh, yeah. So like I was expressing frustration and then my sister really expressed frustration when like, when you're at Bandura camp, they bring in like, you know posters and they're like oh yeah like men only but they put like men only in big print which is like we know and so she auditioned like in drag it was a weird experience um anyway so that's my sister for I was you. just gonna ask I was just gonna ask if anyone's ever done like she's the man style oh yeah, oh, yeah. I mean like she didn't because like they know it's her like we've been we've grown up in this whole thing but yeah she basically did like I don't know she made like a commentary out of it by bringing up like this character of hers it was great um but anyway so like a lot of women were expressing frustration um and my mom at this point like my youngest sister I think was probably I don't know nine ten years old and um you know like these guys that had auditioned my sister in drag were like hey Irene um about this woman's bandura ensemble that people keep like wanting to make like what's your capacity these days? Like there's like a conversation just going like this, this sucks. Like ultimately this has to change. Like you women have been saying this for years. Um, so like you seem like a good person to do it. So, you know, you have our support if you decide you want to do this. Um, 
and and you've said you want to maybe do something like this before. So yeah, go for it. And these were the guys from the from the Ukrainian Banduras chorus. Um, so like, you know, she was like, okay, uh, where do I start? And then it sort of ended up that I kind of co-founded it with her. So um, yeah, we did like the cold calls. We did a little bit of like seed money, um, like request writing. Um, yeah, gathering people, trying to make contact of who's still playing, uh, who might know someone who's still playing. Um, yeah, it was a weird process. And then it happened. It, it was like this kind of pipe dream for so long. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, okay, we're having auditions. Oh, I guess these people are good. We should let them in. I guess there's enough people to have an ensemble now. I guess we need a conductor. We have two conductors now. Great. So like the snowball effect just kind of happened, but all that really needed to happen was like a couple people just had to get together and be like, we're doing this. No looking back. Um, yeah. So that's, that's what happened. And now there's a five-year ensemble. The Women's Bandura Ensemble is five years old. We've done like, wow. we've done like, I think I counted recently, it was like 19 concerts uh, in those awesome. five years. And yeah, just brought in like two new members. So it's like, it's a thing. It's a living, breathing child that is now speaking sentences or whatever five-year-old kids do. <laughs> so. Well, I knew we were speaking to a member of the Bandurist uh, group, the Women's Bandurist group. I didn't know we were speaking to a co-founder. That's so exciting. That's awesome. And I love the story behind it. I love that there was like a need, a little bit of sass in there as well. A little bit of angry feminism. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. And we will want to, uh, like you touched on so many, or you mentioned so many things I want to get into as well. Mm -hmm. But before we get into more about the ensemble, can you tell us what a bandura is, what it looks like, what it sounds like, just a little bit about it. Oh my goodness, so glad you asked. I like wrote this down. I was like, you should show them what a bandura looks like. Or I guess it's a podcast, so like play a little bit. Um, Okay, so there are two types that I play uh, with the women's ensemble. Uh, Most of us play um, like these versions. So if no one's seen a bandura before, um, they basically are shaped like a lowercase b, but they're huge. Um, so I am five feet. I don't know how tall I am, like, I don't know, compared to whatever. Um, so when I sit down, the bandura goes on top of my legs. They're held together. Um, sorry, they're pressed together, whatever. Uh, and yeah, so it's played with the strings facing outwards. So generally when you're playing you kind of play at an angle to the audience um yeah i highly recommend you look this up because if you haven't seen it before um (laughs) listeners please do a little google um yeah so it has a really the the one i play has a really bright sound it's called the chernihivka bandura so it has a lovely like ringy it's just I, yeah, it's nice. Uh, technically, so nice. isn't it just satisfying? It's like that sound. Just so everyone knows, that wasn't just like some sort of sound effect that we used. That was a real bandura. <laughs> she actually just played the bandura. That was real. Um, yeah. Yeah. So the this kind is heavy. Uh, it has mechanisms on the top, so I can change keys in the middle of a concert. 
Uh, it's tuned to the key of G major. I don't know what else to tell you guys. There's basses in the left hand. So you just mentioned that the that the one you have is the Chernihivka. Yeah. Is that what you said? Yeah. So what are what are the other kinds? Yeah. Okay. Or what? Are, yeah. So there's another kind. I don't have one handy on me. Um, but my Chernihivka, like as it came out from the factory, like I think this one's an '80s build. Um, it has a black background and like light colored wood on the like face. Uh, uh, Lvivianka is usually white on both sides, um, and it has a curved back. Mine has a flat back, and it's a slightly different sound. Um, I can't really describe it without just like playing it for you, and unfortunately, I don't have one. Um, so those, the Livivianke are, they're, they're more of a recent uh, invention slash like model. They, um, yeah, so like the, the Chernihi factory, I think, closed down like early 90s. And the Livivianke, they've, they're, they're still being made technically. Like there's a, there's a factory that was like up and running and then like closed down and then was, it's, it's up again. So the other kind, and this isn't as much a model as it is like a style of instrument. So this is called a Poltava Bandura or Poltavsky. Yeah, anyway. Um, so the way it, the, the way which you play is actually different. So rather than holding it to the side, so the strings are facing out towards the audience and having the bandurist sit on an angle, the bandurist would actually sit forwards and the instrument strings are now away from you and the back is sitting against your chest. And what's good about, what's really cool about this style is that you can actually use both hands to play it like the full range whereas with the chernihiv like it, there's limited motion in the left hand like mostly people play basses there's a little bit of overhand stuff but with this one i can just like cross my hands that was like two hands going in the opposite direction um this is an older style this one that i'm playing was actually built in canada by uh william Wetzel. Yeah, Canada represent. <laughs> so they, um, yeah. So it's actually called Kanatska Bandura. Kanatska Bandura, yeah. <laughs> Putovsky Spade, but Kanatska Bandura. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I like that. Um, yeah, so it's an older, it's an older um, style. The, like, if you, if you hear anything about, like, Bandureste or Kobzari, as they were called, like, in older days, because the instrument was a little more different than what you have in my hands right now. Um, those bunduras were more like this, where you were forward facing, generally played by blind men or just men who needed a retirement job after hard labor, hard war times. Um, yeah, so this is closer to like the historical version. The Chernihiv bandura only really surfaced like in the uh early early 20th century like mid 20th century so yeah this one has been around for much longer like 100 years or so and then there's another model before this called the starosvitska or like the old world bandura and i don't know the dates on that but um yeah so these are the different ones that i have is the chetnihi which is like the bigger concert version that i can change um i can change keys with really quickly and then this is my poltavka which is smaller lighter i really like this one because i'm not the size of it 
uh, it's way more portable. It just doesn't have as many uh, as many strings. Um, it doesn't have um, it doesn't have like sharps and flats on it. I have to make those happen in the key that I'm in, so I can't really do accidentals in whatever piece I'm playing. If you have music nerds listening to this, um, yeah. So that that sums up my instruments basically. Yeah. Amazing. And I have one more question. So are they all named after the place that they're made in? Yeah. Is that? Yeah. Okay. Except for the Starosvitska, which is more of like mm. the age it was played in. So. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting. I didn't know that they were named by uh, where they were made. And actually, I think I just read something in... I don't know if you've heard about Ukrainer, the expedition. Oh, yeah. It's a project. <laughs> yeah, they were actually talking about, I think in Ivano-Frankivsk, they want to bring back a instrument factory there, which would be super cool. That would be Maybe cool. Maybe they'll make bandure. Please send me this article because I want to stop them. Okay, I'll have to figure. I'll have to figure out where I read that. Cause, yeah. Um, okay, so you told us a little bit about how the ensemble was started. Um, uh, but tell us where it's based out of, because you're the ensemble of North America. And so tell us where you're based out of, where your members are from, how many members you have. Um, is this like a professional thing or do people just play kind of on the side? Yeah, sure. Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, uh, it's a little it's a little complicated. Um, it's not um, it's not like a lot of groups where you have people in the same town getting together, like in their, you know, local parlors or their garages and practicing. Um, and we knew that it would have to be different just because like Ukrainians in general are pretty dispersed in the U S and Canada too. I think now more so, uh, more so nowadays. Uh, yeah. So when we started out, we were like, okay, there's a bunch of people in Cleveland, bunch of people in Connecticut, thanks to my mom's persistent bundura pushing, um, some people in Detroit and in Chicago and in Toronto. Um, so let's basically create like a community, a group that coalesces, that comes together for concerts and recordings, rehearsals, what have you, but they maintain like they keep their skills up they practice together in regional groups so what we have today is we have a group now of 23 24 women uh so our like represented cities are hartford connecticut uh we have a couple women in new york city we have one in boston we have a couple in detroit chicago cleveland one in Pittsburgh, and I think we have like eight in Toronto. Um, yeah, so pretty, like it's it's not, I, I want to get a Mexican bandurist in here, like I don't know of any, but <laughs> I, I want a bit more, you know, North American representation because we're only far west as, you know, Chicago and we're only as far east as Boston and there's so much more to North America than that, but it just made the most sense in terms of the name since we had two countries represented. Um, yeah, so that's that's how we that's how we roll. <laughs> and so, okay, you have these regional groups. Can you you mentioned there is there an artistic team or an artistic director? How does that work and how how does this overall vision come together? Yeah, that's a great question. So, we um, you you yeah, sorry, you have the group, which is again 23, 24 women. And then within the group, we have people that are voted into our different committees. So we have two committees, the executive committee and the artistic committee. Uh, and those 
two groups work on their separate you know tasks and and projects uh, and the folks leading the artistic vision are the two co-conductors, artistic directors. So that is Oksana Rotak in Chicago, who is originally from Toronto, and Oksana Zelinska-Shevchuk, who is now in Toronto, originally from Lviv. Uh, so they they make they basically split up the repertoire. They split up the responsibility of like finding it and bringing it, and then. Uh, directing it in our rehearsals and kind of taking the charge on those pieces. So it'll be their individual vision and like creation of that song with the group. Uh, but anything they, they bring up, um, you know, it's not just them bringing up songs. Like we have different people have brought up different things. We have um, a few people that have arranged songs that are in the group now which is really cool. So we get like some original pieces um, and the artistic committee gets to vote on it, gets to look at what's, you know, at hand, what's an option and creates sort of a theme or, or kind of um, an overarching topic throughout the songs um, so that we can create a cohesive concert or, you know, make a program that makes sense for the event. Yeah. So a whole lot of teamwork. Yeah, no kidding. And I feel like that would be super beneficial. I don't know, maybe your transition into these COVID times wasn't as difficult than the rest of us because you're sort of used to working at a distance, I guess you could say. Uh, so how have you guys stayed connected during COVID? And like, are there any similarities in your workflow, how your group runs um, in terms of like right now and during a normal world, I guess you can call it. Yeah. So um, yes and no, like some things are very easy. Other things have, you know, needed a little bit of reconfiguring um, in general, like when everything first shut down, there was a little bit of a panic mode. I mean, we all remember what that was like in March. Um, where we're just going, okay, uh, my work is, you know, moving to home and my kids are moving back. And so there was just so much going on. And when we started the ensemble, we knew that we would have moms. Um, I did a Mother's Day post where I counted all the moms we have. And now it's almost half of the group that are mothers um, or grandmothers now. So, um, yeah, we knew that, like, just in general, we understood that women take the majority of home responsibility, um, whether that be of their own choice or, you know, just how things end up. Um, and yeah, so we, we knew that that would have to be part of our, of our plan and of our consideration and just system of how we operate. So when everything started shutting down, we were like, okay, nope, we're not going to stop worrying about what the ensemble is doing. Like we were talking about getting together, finishing up a recording session to make a CD. And we were like, nope, 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 nope. Everyone drop everything Bandura related. Just stop. We'll get back together again. We'll catch up. Like, so we just kind of let everyone go. Um, so whoever had to move, moved. Whoever had to like homeschool their kid, homeschool their kid. Um, and then... I think I'm trying to remember things that all feel like a blur this whole time, man. Um, so I think in October or September, our artistic committee got back together and was like, hey, uh, so we have this group. How about we try and see what works in this new, this new world, this new reality? 
Um, so we began doing online rehearsals. Uh, and they're not really rehearsals, they're just kind of online practice sessions just to keep up with Bandura skills to start looking at new pieces. Um, and again, just like our, our whole purpose of being is to give women a space and a reason to keep playing Bandura. So it was like, we're not doing our job if we're making this like a big pressured thing. Um, and, and if we go like, if you haven't picked up your bundura in three months, you're not in, or like, you're out of the next situation. And we were like taking attendance at first. We we're like, this makes no sense. Who can actually, you know, like, you know, so many of us were, were just going like, this is the time I spend playing. Um, you know, so it just, that's, that's how we, I guess, adapted. But that being said, as difficult as it is, we still, put together a music video for the first time, like in this kind of Brady Bunch, like Zoom Square configuration, everyone playing their own separate part. Um, but hey, like it happened. We put together a whole song, learned it from scratch and like separately too, you know, without meeting. And we had one of our members put it together and edit it. And it's awesome. And we took our, as I mentioned, we were already like in the process of creating a new CD. So we took uh, a track off of what we were going to release as like a full uh, album and we released that as a single. So there's still stuff going on. We uh, just got a grant that's going to be solely for like uh, musical, musical improvement, musical growth as a group. So like there's still stuff happening. Um, it's just things are happening more slowly. Things are happening in like a different way. Um, yeah, so it's different, but it's not impossible. But you also can't have the same expectations as you did before. So, where do where does everyone get their bandure? Where does everyone get their bandure? Like, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. Buying bandure is like a, it's it's an interesting process. Like we have, I was gonna say, we have a few of us. I mean, it's a tightly knit community. Like if you've gone mm -hmm. to one camp, you know everyone mm -hmm. else in North America. So. Like we have a few eBay hounds that just like check eBay constantly and check Amazon for Bandura. But for the most part, it's like someone, someone's, you know, moving their, their elderly relative into a community center or something. So they're like, oh, hey, there's a Bandura in the closet. Like who wants it? And they have no idea how much it's worth. Um, there's like one that my husband found and he's like, it's eight bucks. Can we get it? And I was like, babe, go. So... <laughs> We have a collection that's growing it's so fast. Um, yeah. And then sometimes, like, someone might be selling one because they're moving and they stop playing yeah. or, you know, a relative you to them, they never picked it up. So it's weird. But what I what I recommend to people is, like, you know, talk to Bandurists that you know, and then they'll kind of, like, put out the signal that someone's looking for one. And one will come your way. Um, so yeah. it's not impossible to get them, but it is a weird system. You have to do a little bit of like you have to know the techniques. So as long as you right. like are in touch with someone who knows kind of how to find one, then. Um, and yeah. so if you were to buy one from Ukraine, um, how much would it cost? Like a fresh like a, one. Yeah, a fresh uh, one. Fresh one. Um, a fresh one. <laughs> new car smell and everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, it depends where you get it from. Like if you get a, um, actually I have no idea. Like if you were to get a, a Poltavka or Starosvitska that's like recently made, cause that's kind of, mm -hmm. I, I, I feel like it, I don't know, like we're at a point in terms of like the lifespan of these instruments where it's like, we have to start making more of like the old style ones. 
Um, I have no idea how much those are, but like they're all handcrafted and oh my God, I don't want to know how much they are, but they are like, they're in Ukraine and these people are underpaid and their, you know, their economy is not great. So yeah, uh, I'd say like maybe around like 800 bucks for a fresh Polkavka, yeah. but then if you want like a fresh one, if you want like one from mm-hmm. the factory, from the Trimbita factory in Lviv, then that will probably mm-hmm. cost you like 2k, 3k. So wow. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So you are, you are also a part of Kurinya. Can you tell us a bit about this and yeah, what kind of music it is and some history behind it? Yeah, so Kurinya is a folk band. Officially, we are Kurinya folk band. Um, so the configuration that we're in now, we have uh, vocals and percussion by me. Uh, we have fiddle by Sana Shapko Hamilton and accordion by her sister Zoya Shapko Hamilton. And then we have a bassist and our bassist is Nick Claudio. Uh, so our, our vibe, how can I describe our vibe? Um, we like to say that it's, it's old songs, uh, it's folk, but it's like in a fresher kind of revival uh, sound, I suppose. Like we don't ever, you know, claim that we are, uh, that we are like authentic folk or that we sound exactly like how the village wedding band would have sounded 100, 200 years ago. Um, That's just not possible. Like we are not of that culture where we are isolated and we hear like mostly just one sound our whole lives. We're now influenced by like all the genres that we have in North America now um, and just around the world. and yeah, so we play mostly at festivals. We've played at a lot of weddings, which is so much fun. And we do, yeah, private events. We've done um, different concerts and things just around around the same area, kind of like the eastern half of the U.S. and Canada. So it's it's a whole bunch of fun. Um, we love, we love the dance tunes. We love being an acoustic Zababa band when the event calls for it. Uh, but we also like experimenting, taking different songs and seeing what we can make out of these old songs and, you know, seeing if, if we can extract or, or create something new out of it. So that's, that's the band guys for any kind, for, for any more explanation, really, I just have to like play you songs. So please look us up on, on Spotify and yeah take a listen yeah i i actually went to your guys's your guys's instagram today (laughs) uh i followed you for a long time like kurinya i followed for a long time Mm -hmm. and then i was like okay i should just remind myself like what the band's about and blah 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 and then i started listening to music i was like oh they're so good (laughs) i really like the authentic um anything that feels authentic very much resonates with me Mm. and the sound the authentic sound but then making it a little more bright or a little more I don't know I don't know what the right word is to because it is authentic but just like you were saying you're in we're influenced we all are influenced by everything that's happening um in the world everything we're exposed to now so it's so hard to say you're purely authentic totally. like village um but I I love that there's still that sound there even that you guys wear full costume I love that and just the way you interact with one another you just look like you're having like such a good time like genuinely a good time just like a village band would and you're young and it's fresh and I like it a lot thank you that's so sweet yeah no it's 
that's that pretty much like explains it it's we're not authentic in terms of like sound or in terms of like ethnographically accurate you know like soundscapes but you know we like to say that we're just like authentic you know how we play it we're we're authentic in terms of like how we just have fun with it and yeah so I guess this question could be for the Bandurist Ensemble and as well Kuringa. How do you find that balance of um, preserving Ukrainian folk music, but also making it contemporary in some way or making it, um, yeah, like fresh, kind of like we were just talking about? Mm, I love this question. Okay, so um, I always like whenever anyone asks me this question, I always take it back to like, what is authentic? What is folk? Like, what is your definition of you know, those things, like, and, and are you thinking of a certain time period? Um, for the most part, when people talk about folklore, or, you know, ethnographic uh, difference, or, or, like, you know, costumes or whatever, really, it's, it's, for the most part, looking back at how the world was in, like, the 1860s or so. I think there were, like, a couple um, a couple like ethnomusicologists, a couple ethnographers that just like went into Europe and were like, what is the world like right now? What are your folk traditions? What, what, you know, what is your Sunday best? What does your music sound like? And, and that's kind of what it was decided at that point. Like this is folk. Um, and still, like, if you think about Kurinya, if you think about, um, you know, dance is different because it's, it's gone through so much, like from the village dance to like the stage, um, it, it really, like, it's just a frozen point in time. So if you think about it that way, which is, like, the truth, that it's really only showing you a certain period in history, um, then you really realize that, like, we've gone through now 150-ish years of, like, colonization, outside forces, influences, um, you know, just globalization. So... With that in mind, you have to just think like, okay, so what what is the folk? What is this like, you know, Ukrainianness that we're trying to convey in this music? Um, and especially with Kurinya, the way I think about it is, it's not it's not like a particular moment in time, but it is the musical knowledge and the musical, I guess, like spirit and sound that comes from Ukraine like if we go back to the 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 lovely choral director that I just had you know like a great time with um who said like yeah Bulgarian music the ugly sound um dear lord why why did that guy okay anyway um <laughs> still not over it um yeah so uh the you know his his comment of that ugly sound what he failed to see was like that's ugly because like you're not used to it and it's ugly to you and you don't know about it because you're used to western music and with like with what i've learned from bandura and what i've learned from listening to other folk groups it's like there is a musical knowledge and a musical tradition that started in ukraine that and and just in eastern europe in general that like people who study Western music don't really hear about unless they go seeking it out. Um, so that's basically what I say and and what I try to go for when I when I think about like how to keep it Ukrainian, how to keep it, uh, you know, authentic or true to some kind of root. It's like, does it just follow along the lines of this 
knowledge? Is this the natural continuation of that, you know, knowledge? Um, and, and with Bandura, it's, it's a little different because a lot of our repertoire now that we're trying to evolve uh, was made like in the 60s and 70s. It was made for women because the Bandura, the, the traditional Bandura repertoire was made um, by men uh, who were, I guess, um, uh, how do I put this? They were, they were, I guess, like inheritors of, of the Kobzar tradition from like the times of Kozatstvo and other really tumultuous historical times. So those songs were about war. They were about screwing the man, like screwing the panstvo, screwing the surf system, screwing the, uh, you know, like the Russian empire and, and, you know, the Turkish invaders. Like it was just whoever, whoever did us any bad, like the song is against you. And it was, there were also songs that were uh, religious in nature, like biblical stories, uh, yeah, historical ballads. So a lot of these songs were not a good look for the Soviet Union when it came about. Like, you know, they said, okay, you can have your folklore, but anything that goes against what we set up is, yeah, that's just not good. We can't have that. So uh, Bandura at the beginning of the Soviet Union, in the middle of the Soviet Union, was really, uh, it was less, um, first first things like they they stopped uh you know, letting the solo Kobzari wandering, they they stopped that whole tradition and it became a group tradition, which is how we got groups like the Ukrainian Bandura's Chorus. And on top of that, they started giving Bandura to women. So that, uh, that repertoire that came out of that was songs that were deemed safe, quote unquote, I'm doing the air quotes thing. <laughs> so the yeah the repertoire that women got was more like about love and about spring and about you know just like everyday things that weren't deemed dangerous by the soviet authorities um so that's the repertoire we have to work with yay um <laughs> so now like the women's bandura ensemble our challenge is to take that you know that that history and to be fair like a lot of very uh, you know, subliminally patriotic songs have come out of women's repertoire. Uh, so we do have to give it credit. Um, but uh, at the same time, you know, it's still very like, woe is me, I am woman, waving goodbye to my, you know, like male relative as he goes off to war and he'll probably die. Woe is me. Um, so that's the repertoire. That's, that's a lot of the repertoire, unfortunately. Um, but now like our challenge is to take this tradition where like we have so many trained we have so many trained females in this art form. How do we make this art form like empowering? So we have to start looking at, um, you know, songs that are either of a different culture. Like we, we have a couple, we have one song in Latin. We have a new one in English now. I think we have like two or three now in English. Um, we're looking at one that's very much like a Selyanska piece. Yeah. So like it, where I'm, I'm teaching Reed Newhollis to like this group of women that have been trained in the very classical style of singing, uh, which has been fun. So we're just looking at different at different possibilities, at different uh, aspects of Ukrainian musical traditions uh, to create something that's a little more like, you know, as, as some of us have said, like that just passes the Bechtel test a bit more that like passes our, our modern standards of feminism and empowerment and something that we relate to as modern 21st century women. Um, 
Yeah. So again, long answer to a short question, but like this is a theme I could talk about for days. So that, that's a fair answer. I think we're asking some pretty loaded questions. <laughs> so I think it's fair to have long answers when you're talking about just now um, how you're teaching a song with Rini Holos mm-hmm. uh, with a band- paired with a bandura. I, I think Caitlin, you watched this documentary too. There's a documentary about Ukrainian music. Uh, I don't know if you've seen it, but it has a lot of. Um, of the modern musicians in Ukraine, like Onuka and Marina Krut, mm-hmm. and they're talking about um, how traditional music has played a role in their life and how they're kind of making that part of their sound. And uh, when Marina Krut was talking, she was saying just that how classical um, voice has been paired with the bandura, yes. and that's the way it's been. And she said she, she doesn't she doesn't say anything bad about it. She just says like it's it's kind of too bad that it's not Ridni Holos, which is really cool that that now you're doing a piece like that uh, to kind of switch it up. And I feel like a lot of people wouldn't even think that they you if you've heard the bandura, if you've heard a chorus sing together with bandura, it is classical. Like when <laughs> I think back to any time I've heard it, it's classical. But I've never actually made the connection. It's like oh yeah, they don't actually usually sing read Niholas when they're playing the bandura and it didn't really click until I watched that documentary and now that you say that that's super cool that you guys are doing that yeah first of all I need to know what this documentary is please send it over to me um because I can't believe I haven't seen this um (gasps) also Marina Krut such a such a queen such a I don't know just like something about her and like everything she does I'm like oh man if only she lived here like what a homegirl so yeah um there's actually I should say that just like on that note of like mixing Ritmi Holos with Bandura, it has been done. Um, for the most part, it was done here in the States. Mm. Um, sorry, I'm in Canada. Here in North America. <laughs> Guys, I forget this sometimes. I'm such like a stereotypical American. I'm like here in this land. Um, so anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, so there was a group in the 80s, I believe. Um, that my uncle was a part of a few of my like Bandura colleagues now um, were were in that group like for a few years called Homings the Peeve based in New York City. They really paired together like a more Ridmi Hola style of singing with Bandura, which was amazing. And like, oh, man. OK, I wish I, I really wish I could point out a link, but like I don't know how to access their music other than like burnt records and stuff like that like ripped records so um they really did that and then there was a time at Kobzarsky Siege Bandura camp where we also did that um I say we but I was like three at the time um so we brought in singers like um Mariana Sodovska there was Nadia Tarnavska and then on the other hand on the Bandura side you had my uncle Jules Kitasti who was like leading this like creative charge and like Anyone who was at camp in those years just tells me like, oh man, you are so lucky you were too young to hold a bandura at that age because like we would be up until two in the morning, but the product would be amazing. <laughs> so like it has been done. Um, but yeah, my my goal personally, just like in terms of what what I end up doing, like my personal style of bandura, like I, I want to kind of rehash that. And if I can achieve that even a little bit with the women's bandura ensemble, like I'd be super happy. So, yeah, another little side note, side, side trip in our conversation here. That was my fault. I took you down that side trip, so. I will talk about this for hours. <laughs> <laughs> 
There's a line on the Women's Ensemble website on the, I think it was on the page about the history of the instrument, and it mm-hmm. says the Bandura's song is considered the voice and soul of Ukraine, its strings echoing the nation's turbulent history. So just keeping that in mind, and I think that just really sums up what we've been talking about and more about the history of the instrument, but keeping that in mind and your family histories your own family's history in mind. What does it mean to you today to be playing a bandura? Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about loaded questions, Whoa. right? <laughs> um honestly, like I oh wow. Like it's it's influenced so much of my life. Um I like some of my earliest memories are at Bandura Camp. Like there's pictures of me as a baby crawling on a bandura. There's pictures of me as a baby and my mom like catching me in my like walkie thingy that is like illegal now. Um, it was the nineties guys. So <laughs> there's like pictures of her catching me and then like putting like one of those like little souvenir toy bunduras in my hands. Um, I met my husband at bandura camp. Like I, my, my sister and I play bandura like still to this day together. And it's like one of our favorite things to do together. Um, it's yeah like I met Corinna there like that's how I got started with Corinna's I met my new friends there and then after after that it was like okay now I'm joining your band um it's it's part of the family like people have have you know people in my family have said like you know it's it's just a family member that like is always there with you um it's it was you know what got my family through war it's also like not just World War One either, but like my my grandfather was enlisted in Korea. So like he survived World War One, ends up in Korea, and then his generals are like, Hey, you have a funny guitar. Why don't you like we'll we'll keep you off the front lines, but like we'll have you do uh, you know, concerts for us, like in the in the general's like canteen or whatever. So like, I don't know, maybe his life was saved there. I have another uncle who um, was enlisted in Vietnam, same thing happened. So like, it's, it's just been this, I don't know, omnipresent, almost like gift. And like, I don't, yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't, I, I can't even say like, what would life be without it? I went to Argentina in my university, um, like degree as a study abroad. Uh, I landed in Buenos Aires and then I text the Ukrainian center, like locally. I said, Hey, do you guys have a bandura? And they were like, yes. And actually this guy who met your mom here in the eighties has a bandura for you. And he wants to talk to you. And he's just going to be like your dude, like your guy that you talk to. And sure enough, like, you know, it, it just, that was, that was like the best experience while I was there. It was like coming in, teaching Rini Hollis to a bunch of like Spanish speaking Ukrainians and like just playing bandura with them. It's just like, it's, it's like a passport to this, like, you know, this world. It's, it's again, a family member. It's like a, a soul I don't know like it's 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 I ugh, guys I can't describe this it's just so important literally it's so important emotionally and just like it has like div- like my life has built around it and and my life was made possible thanks to it so yeah it, it only like it only makes sense and to me that I continue this tradition and it's almost like I have to like I have to thank the Bundura like I have to return this this experience to it I have to devote 
a good chunk of my life to it. So, yeah. Wow. That was a great, that was a great answer. Thank you. Honestly, I'm kind of like, I can't get too far into it because I will start crying. So. No, but you're talking about it. Like you're talking about the bandura and you're talking about how it's like impacted your life and the whole time just like, yes, like that is the same with Ukrainian dance for us. Yeah. And like how many experiences and people you meet and just like you're saying, it's this passport to Mm -hmm. a whole other world. Like it opens so many doors for you that people... Like, really, if someone has not experienced that in some passion of their life, if they haven't found that, it's, I feel like, very, very difficult to explain. I honestly, I, think, I sometimes feel sorry yeah. for people. I'm like, what do you mean you don't have this crazy obsession that you devote your entire life to? <laughs> yeah, wow. That's awesome. Um, well, we've been talking a whole lot. Oh, yeah. And... <laughs> And um, I think we, I think we should let the bandura do some talking. I love that. I love that so much. Yes, great. <laughs> so um, we would love to ask you to play one of your favorite Ukrainian tunes for us on the bandura, and sing if you'd like to as well. And um, I'm very excited for this little virtual concert we're going to get to experience, <laughs> and also our listeners. All right. Okay. So um, I'm thinking I should start on the mellower song and then go into like a happy like outro song so amazing all right we'll see if i don't mess up with my chili chili fingers i just want to say a lot of people like while i'm here warming up my fingers and doing this weird like craft dance for you guys Uh, I'm just like opening and closing my hands. It's really weird looking. Okay. Um, just for anyone listening who's like, oh man, Bandura sounds so cool, but that sounds really overwhelming. Like so many strings. Excuse me. What is a piano? That's more keys. That is more keys than a Bandura. Like my big Bandura only has like 55 strings. So do not, do not give me that excuse. (laughs) Anyway. Okay. So this song, um, this is an original composition by my uncle Julian Catasti. He wrote it. Um, he wrote it for uh, a theater piece that he was in. Uh, but he wrote it at Bundura Camp in Connecticut, uh, in an old abandoned barn. Uh, I did not know the name of this piece, and I still don't know the name of this piece, even though it now has an official name, but I performed it before it was officially released, and I gave it the name Moths, because, like, you'd see my uncle, like, composing by flashlight, and there'd be, like, just bugs everywhere. So, I called it Moths. It has a different name, but he blessed that name. He said he liked it, so here we go.
Amazing. Wow. Thank you. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much okay, for that. I just want to say <laughs> that whole time I was just thinking like this is so cool. <laughs> okay, like <laughs> it's so cool that we're connecting with someone we would never would have met and it's because like Ukrainian culture and our love for it and to be I was just thinking that this is actually our first episode that we've done that's a branched out of like strictly Ukrainian dance, I would say where we haven't talked about Ukrainian dance at all, really. Um, and just so cool. Like, this is the reason we started this podcast. It was, like, to get to know other people and to get to know more about Ukrainian culture and to meet other people with, like, oh, passion like you. Oh, my gosh, so you guys. Good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, No, I mean, like, I've, I've honestly, like, I've personally been wondering, like, how do we get Bundura to more people? And how do we, you know, just like, even even just in general, like, Ukrainian music, just how how can we give it like a proper platform? How can how can it get the recognition that it honestly just deserves? Mm-hmm. Um, and and I was just like, oh, my gosh, there's a podcast. There's a Ukrainian dance podcast. That's really cool. We haven't had one before. So I was like, hey, guys. <laughs> so yeah, like, I, I think that honestly, like, in part unfortunately like thanks to these like weird situations where it's now just like super normal to like just go hi ladies on instagram you don't know me but i have heard you and mm-hmm. <laughs> if you guys want to talk about Pandora, like let's chat so yeah no i'm i'm super thankful super like thankful to both of you henna and caitlin for just like going mm-hmm. yeah totally Pandora, let's do it like we're ukrainian dance <laughs> podcast but what the hell <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah, and I'm sure after this entire conversation and after that beautiful little performance from you, people are gonna want to know how can I learn the bandura. So if people are interested in learning, what's their first step? What's their first step? Ooh, I like this. Um, yeah. So first step, don't even worry about having a bandura. If you have one, that's great. Um, but it's just first things first. If you do not have one, if you don't know where to start, just get in touch. Like I. Feel free to talk to me, like, if you email, um, if you email the group, if you just go to the Women's Bandura Ensemble's website, we have a contact page. Um, just even, like, in there, just be like, hi, Alina, you know, and then just, like, email me, basically, in there, and just say, like, hi, need need your advice, need to get into this whole Bandura world. And then, like, once you just get in touch with us, Gears will be in motion. We'll find you a bandura somehow. Someone will be able to get you one, like wherever you are. I shouldn't make that kind of promise, but like <laughs> some somehow, somehow, <laughs> we can probably find a bandura. I don't know. I don't know what like the situation would be like in. I don't know if you're like somewhere somewhere super remote. Um, yeah, but for the most part. It, wherever most people like are located that be listening to this podcast, I think that we can find Jobundura. Um, and then it's just a matter of like pairing you with the teacher, whether it's online or in person. So yeah, go to the Women's Bandura Ensemble's website, which should be easy to find with the Google, but just in case the website is banduristka.org. So that is bandurist, B-A-N-D-U-R-I-S-T-K-A.org. And then, yeah, so just message me there and like i personally probably will be like okay who can we match what is the spider web looking like in this area that you are located in so yeah um i think we're gonna wrap it up and i think you have one more song for us to play i um 
Okay, so we'll just, I want to leave people, we want to leave people with the bandura in their ears, um, not our voices. They hear enough of it. So I'll just wrap up by saying thank you so much for chatting with us and subscribe to our podcast. Um, we are going to link all the things we talked about in the show notes of this podcast, including the websites for both of the groups that Nina is involved in as well as maybe the documentary we were talking about. I don't know. All these resources that we were just chatting about will include all of those. And back to letting the bandura talk. All right. Do your thing. I'm actually going to sing. So oh, gonna, amazing. Like, okay, great. Okay. <laughs> all right. Okay. So just so people know, you do not need to know how to sing to play bandura. You do not need to know how to speak Ukrainian to play Bandura. And you do not know, like, you don't need to know how to read Cyrillic. So I'm just going to end off on this English language song because I want to put that PSA out there. So this is Star of the County Down. It is Irish. <laughs> All right. Benbridge Town in the County Down one morning last July. A boring green came a sweet Colleen And she smiled as she passed me by She looked so sweet from her two bare feet To the sheen of her nut-brown hair Such a coaxing elf, sure I shook myself As to see if I was really there From Bentry Bay to Derry Cay From Galway to Dublin Town No maid I've seen like the fair Sing.